Our passage this morning is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you would have a seat and uh, join me in praying over God's word this morning. God and Father, we do not tremble in front of your word this morning because it has the word victory in it. Uh, Lord, you have given us a great victory in Christ. Lord, I pray that you allow for us to approach your word as a great and good news this morning, a great and good gospel this morning that has a name, and his name is Jesus. And so we pray your blessing on this word. We pray your blessing on the proclamation of the gospel, that we might be renewed in our spirits and that we might see those who do not know you come to know you. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Over the last uh, year or so, we've learned a lot of things as a church. Uh, in fact, if you go all the way back to last summer, uh, I'll tell you this. Andrew and I had begun kind of incorporating our dear friend, our sweet friend, uh, a pillar at City Church, uh, Sterling Selman, into some of our leadership discussions. We had started inviting him into sermon planning you know, series and uh, things like this. Uh, for those of you who are new, everybody has scars, and you might, uh, you might hear or see some of those things around. Our, our body has uh, a scar. Uh, we uh, are missing uh, just one of our dear friends. His name's Sterling Selman, and uh, uh, we just loved him dearly, and uh, he is with the Lord now. He passed away uh, last summer, but he, uh, he taught me a lot. In fact, God, I believe, taught us a lot. Our hope was to see uh, him develop and maybe even install him into church leadership. And what I witnessed as I started inviting him kind of into those meetings, what Andrew and I saw, maybe even foremost, was just a man of great faithfulness, uh, a man that uh, had a lot of faith in the gospel, but that also uh, kind of lived out that faith. Um, uh, it, it is true that uh, not everybody uh, gets uh, supported in the midst of trauma the way that they, the way that they should. I, I'm very proud to say that uh, our church has supported Stephanie uh, just 
very deeply, very well. But, but there's a reason why, and you, you may not have put these two things together. It's because they served the body like crazy. They were so faithful, are so faithful, uh, and, and when you pour out that uh, blessing of faithfulness on a family, the family recognizes that and, and doesn't return a favor, uh, but, uh, but returns that faithfulness as well. I miss our dear friend, uh, Sterling. Uh, the evening that Sterling was intubated, he actually made a couple of calls uh, very late at night. Uh, some of you have heard this story, uh, but, but what you may not know about that is, is that he called me uh, that evening, and when he called me, he uh, just called me to encourage me. He, he didn't call me for really any other purpose. Uh, he called me to tell me what was going to happen and that he was going to be intubated, and uh, he called me just to tell me to keep on uh, striving, keep on working. He just told me to keep on, you know, just going, uh, that he had been encouraged by me, and he just wanted to return that encouragement. And, and honestly, I really do believe this. Uh, you know, we've had some ups, and we've had some downs over the last year. I think that God probably used that encouragement maybe more than any other to continue kind of sustaining through this long process. And so we owe uh, uh, Sterling a huge debt of gratitude. And the truth is, is that he was a very faithful person, but not all people are. Uh, People can kind of exhibit what looks like faithfulness, especially over brief periods of time, and they can especially do so if they're not confronting trial, but often that what looks like faithfulness will kind of wane over time, but it will especially wane during trial. When you come up against things that are very difficult, it's easy to let our faithfulness slip. Sterling, though, is faithful. I'm using that word is for a very specific purpose. In fact, we're going to talk about that a little bit later when we conclude this morning. But uh, the faithfulness is and was something for Sterling that was bigger than circumstance. It was bigger than the world. It was even bigger than life. Sterling was a faithful man. God has used Sterling's faithfulness. Uh, he, he used that call. He used the hospital visits that I uh, had the privilege of, of going and laying hands and uh, reading the word and singing over Sterling and asking God for some pretty big things. He's used memories of Sterling to show me not just what f- uh, faithfulness looks like, but what victory looks like. And so this morning, I think that we have contained in this text actually something where God wants to tell together the idea of faithfulness and victory. The primary thing that I think we draw out of this text this morning is that faith in the testimony of God, faith in the testimony of God is victory over the world. So faith in the testimony of God is our victory over the world. And so you hear kind of three words in there, faith, testimony, and victory. And what we've got to do in order to kind of extract what I think is John's primary point for us this morning is to actually do a deep dive to really discover what this text has to say about faith, what it has to say about testimony, and most certainly what it has to say about victory. We need to see how they relate to one another. If you're new with us, you need to know that we kind of march through books of the Bible. We've been in 1 John now for the majority of the summer. We're going to conclude uh, by going through the last little part of 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John over the coming weeks, and we'll start a new sermon series in the fall, and Jeff is currently in the midst of planning that out. We're really excited. The second Sunday of September, he will start uh, this series, uh, and, and we're glad, we're going to be glad to take you through that and announce what that is here in the next few days, but John has 
has spent a lot of this letter that we're in right now talking about love and obedience. And he, he continues today to talk a little bit about love and obedience, but what he really does is turns his attention for the first time in this letter towards the topic of faith. It's really the first time that he's going to give it a deep treatment. And so what we see is, as we turn towards faith, is that he wants us to be devoted. Devotion is kind of the primary order of the day. So if you've been tracking with us, we've had sermons that have been more doctrine-oriented, more deeds-oriented. This morning, what John wants us to do is become more devoted. So I want to ask you a question this morning. What is it that you are devoted to? If you had to think, if you had to judge by the way that you spend your time or spend your money or the things that you talk about, the things that excite you, what is it that you are simply devoted to? And what we're going to find is, is that when we think about devotion, you're going to have something that you're putting your faith in. That's our first word this morning, faith. Read with me in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of the Son of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God has been born of God. And so we already see how God is uh, kind of Trinitarian in this text. We see that everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of the Father. And what we need to know is, is that faith has, has three persons. It has a foundation, it has a Father, and it has fruit. That's what we're going to discover in the text. First, the foundation. Faith is that Jesus is the Christ. Faith in Jesus' Messiahship is right at the center of what John wants to define as being the object of our faith. Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the foundation on which we stand. And not everybody believes this, right? Not everybody has a foundation of faith that is Jesus Christ. We take a look at uh, Muslims who believe that Jesus was a prophet, we see that Buddhists say that he was a teacher. The Jews reject his messiahship. Even Hindus have a view of him as an akira, a mentor, somebody that we can follow alongside. But not everybody recognizes Jesus as a foundation of faith to stand on. So we have faith on Jesus. We have a person named Jesus in whom we have faith and we stand on him. So our faith has a foundation. But it's not just a foundation. Our faith also has a father. It says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now this is not new language to us in 1 John. We have been born of God. Everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. And what we find is, is that faith actually has a father. There is something familial about faith. If you believe on Jesus, then, father, then our father has actually given you faith. He's actually brought you into a family of faith. You have been born of God. Anyone who loves the Father has been, uh, anyone who loves Jesus and places their faith on him has been born of God. God is the father of faith, and the faithful have been born of him. And not only that, we also love the children of faith. We love our brothers and sisters in faith. John has spent a lot of time talking about our relationship to one another, not as like cold acquaintances, but as warm family members, as sons and daughters of this father. And what binds us together is a faith in Jesus Christ. So faith has a foundation, and it also has a father, but lastly, it has fruit 
verse 2. By this we know, we know. that Here's how you know what, uh, where the fingerprints of faith are. It's where the Spirit is. By this we know faith, that you love God and you obey the commandments. If you want to know that, uh, that faith has a fruit, it has an expression, it has something that comes forth from it, it has something that offers itself by way of fruit, faith turns into fruit, and what we see is, is that the Spirit is bearing that fruit in two primary ways. First, the love of God, and then also the obedience of commandments. But it actually has something that might surprise us. It says that in the Spirit... In that fruit, the commandments are not burdensome. So what the Spirit does is catalyzes fruit of faith. And this bears itself out in loving God, loving his children, and obeying his commandments in such a way where that catalyzed faith is so deep, it's so rich, it's so comprehensive, it's so uh, just complete that it expresses itself in terms of love and obedience in such a way where it's not even a burden. Now, I wonder how many people walked into this room thinking this morning, man, the expression of my faith is obedience to commands, and it's not burdensome at all. It doesn't take really any effort at all to try to follow the commandments of Christ. Anybody think that this morning walking in? That's not how we deal with this. But what, it, what John is trying to convey to us is that there is something so deep, so rich that we might have faith in that even the obedience of the commandments of Christ is not burdensome. It's something that becomes a joy. It's not just a duty. It is a delight. So what we find here in this first section is a really good understanding, a deep understanding of the foundation, the Father, and the fruit of faith. What we find is, is that Jesus is the foundation of our faith, that, uh, that God the Father is the Father of our faith, and that the Spirit grows fruit in our faith. But here's the question that we've got to begin asking so that we can turn to our next point this morning, and that is, what is your faith in? Okay, so faith is a good thing. You can have faith in a lot of different things. We're actually going to talk about one way that you can have faith in the world and what that brings here in just a moment. So just simply saying faith isn't necessarily a good thing if the object of your faith is not on a firm foundation, if it does not have a familial aspect, if it is not fruitful, if it actually bears uh, uh, death and negative things, it is not good. So here's the question, what is your faith in? And that's where we go from faith into testimony. Verse 9 says this, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. So, so actually, I, I did a little juke here. The first thing that I asked you was, what is our faith in? But what John is wanting you to know is that it's not what your faith is in, it is who your faith is in. He's saying that you might receive the testimony of men, but the testimony of God is greater. Anybody looking for a tattoo this morning, God's testimony is greater. What a great thing to know. And first, we need to know that the testimony is received if we receive the testimony of men. So we're receiving something. When you get a testimony, you actually have to receive it. If you walk into a courtroom today and you're listening to the testimony, you have to receive that testimony. You have to decide whether or not it is worthy of your faith. So you have to receive a testimony. 
So the question is, who are we receiving this testimony from? By men? John brings this up. If we receive the testimony of men? Yes, yes, we receive the testimony of men. Do we receive it in faith? Yes, we receive it in faith. In fact, we're receiving a testimony by faith right now in the hearing of God's word. We're receiving testimony by faith in John and his apostleship. John was no God. He was an apostle. He had a unique anointing. He's writing in scripture, but it's still the testimony of men. And what he wants you to know is not to place all of your faith in a testimony of man, but rather to know that the testimony of God is greater. God has the best testimony. What what am I talking about? What is John talking about? Well, he goes on to say in verse 7 something very peculiar. He says, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Now, that's a very strange thing. If you listened to this earlier and you're like, what is that all about? You could be forgiven. There are legions of theologians over the last two millennia that don't agree on what these things mean. So at best, what we're going to do this morning is try to apply what we think is most faithful biblically. First, water. Verse 6. This is he who came by water. Who is that? Jesus Christ. That's what verse 6 says. And, and we do believe this. In the first chapter of Mark, it says that Jesus came to be baptized. Who did he be, come to be baptized by? Not John, the writer of the gospel, but by John the Baptist. Why did he come to be baptized? He came to be baptized to show us the way through water. And it says this in first, uh, the first chapter of Mark. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And then what happens? God gives a testimony. Why? Because God's testimony is greater than the testimony of man. What does he say? He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Who's giving the testimony? Man or God? It's God. Is it greater than the testimony of man? Yes. He tore open the heavens to give this testimony. So we know Jesus Christ by the testimony of water. He was baptized. And there at that baptism, God the Father speaks and says, this is my son. He gives a testimony. But it's not just a testimony of water. We're told by John that it is a testimony of blood. So this is he who came by water and blood. What's his name? Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by water and blood. What, what is it talking about? Is it talking about the, uh, the baptism again? No, I think in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we see that all people have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. That's the state of all man. But what God did was he justified sinners in Jesus. How did he do it? Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his water? No, by his blood. God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We have this uh, mingling up of faith and blood as a testimony of God. Who is it in this verse from Romans chapter 3 that put forward the propitiation, that put forward the testimony of blood? It was God. He justified us in Jesus by putting forth his son, the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we've got water and blood as the testimonies of God, giving testimonies to the sonship of Jesus. But lastly, we have the Spirit. 
Going back to 1 John, it says this, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. The Spirit is the truth. Going back to this, uh, this uh, conversation about Jesus' baptism, what we actually see in John chapter 1, verse 32, is that um, <clears throat> the people that had gathered there around Jesus' baptism, John himself probably in particular, saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And what does it say? It says, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is coming down, and then John the Baptist is giving testimony to the one who baptized by the Son, uh, by the Holy Spirit, and he says that whoever gives that kind of baptism is the Son of God. So who is it that is testifying to Jesus as the Son of God there at the baptism? It's the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and then staying on Jesus. God's testimony is greater. It is sure. It is confident. So do you love hearing testimonies? All of us have friends that we know that God rescued out of dire situations. Women who had been being trafficked and God uh, pulled them out of the sex trafficking industry only to redeem and restore and reconcile into great beauty and great power, eternal life to that person. All of us know people who have been rescued from life of, uh, of, of drugs and waywardness and uh, using of people and money and things like this. All of us have those testimonies that stick out to us in particular, and we love those stories. We love to hear those stories. We love to be shaped by those stories, but I wonder whether or not you consider God's testimony about his son as the Christ in the water and the blood and the spirit greater. Do you love hearing that story? Do you love hearing this testimony this morning by way of God's testimony to Jesus? I sure do hope so. But here's what's really fun about this. It's not just a testimony of water, blood, and spirit, and then that's God's testimony, and he just leaves us out of it. The truth is, is that we also are there to share in this testimony. So we have faith in man's testimony. Yes, you can believe man's testimony. You don't put it above God's testimony. Do we have faith in John's apostolic testimony? Yes. Do we have trust? deep and abiding faith in God's great testimony? Yes. And when we do, he brings his disciples to live in his great testimony. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. So it says that there's a testimony of water, blood, and spirit, and that's God's testimony to us. But then in our own lives, God actually ushers us into those things. He tears the veil and the spirit comes. And where does the spirit now find its residence? Where is the spirit? It's in the temple. What's the temple? It's the church. What's the church? It's you. You are a living testimony to God in the spirit. You're a living testimony to Jesus and his messiahship in the exact same way as like the transfiguration and Jesus' baptism and God tearing open the heavens and speaking. No, not in the precise same way. But in power, you have the Spirit, and you give testimony to the Sonship of Jesus Christ. When you are baptized, yes, it is a significant day for you, but you know what else is also happening? God is testifying. He's saying, this is my son or daughter whom I am well pleased because of Jesus Christ. You are actually a living testimony by water. 
God includes you in his testimony. Here in a moment when we take communion, we will be reminded of the testimony of blood. Here together as believers, we will actually take communion as a testimony to the justification that we have received by faith in Jesus Christ. We are actually a part of that testimony. God doesn't just give a powerful testimony. He brings us up into it. Most think that the only way that you can testify is to evangelize. And then you know what we do? We don't, number one. And then we feel guilty for it, right? We all think that the only way to really bring testimony to Jesus' sonship is to go out there and tell people about it. Good. I hope that you do. I, I, I think you're commanded to. You ought to. It's good. It's good for you. But here's the truth. It is not just a verbal proclamation, and it is also not just a proclamation of deeds. We've talked about this a lot as a church, that it's not just a verbal testimony, but that we actually have to go and be the hands and feet of Christ. That's not what I'm talking about either. The truth is, is that we have to be a testimony. How are we a testimony? By taking communion, by being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, by believing and reciting the word, by doing the things that Christians do, not just evangelism, we are bringing testimony to the sonship of Jesus Christ, to the messiahship of Jesus Christ. You are bringing a testimony. Here, here I wanna pause just for a moment. A lot of times, we think that we come here to church to just receive, to listen. That's not true at all. We come here to testify. What I would love for you to think about whenever you're coming to City Church on a Sunday morning is that you are driving up into worship and that you are bringing a testimony. You could do a lot of things with your Sunday mornings, but what you came here to do this morning is testify to Jesus. You're doing something. You are active. You are not just receiving it's not just like some sort of weird social club that you know, has weird kind of constraints and expectations on you. You're coming here to testify to Jesus. I wonder if you have that mind. Men in particular, I want you to think about this when you're uh, leading your family towards worship. I see oftentimes when men get lazy, their families stop coming to worship, to testify. They don't lead their families into worship. Men, I want to call you to lead your family to consistently testify to the graces that we have received in Jesus Christ. How are you to do that? So many different ways. But one way, an important way, one way that I want you to think about often, one way that I want you to lead your family towards is worship here. Don't neglect it. Don't neglect the gathering. This is a testimony. But what kind of testimony? So we have faith in the testimony of God, but to what end? To salvation? Okay, salvation, but to what kind of salvation? Is it a mamby-pamby salvation? Is it a quiet salvation? Is it a meek salvation? Is it a, a salvation that you sweep under the rugs? What kind of testimony, what kind of faith are we after? And that's where we get to victory. It is not a quiet faith. It is not a quiet testimony. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God, remember verse 1 says that anybody born of God believes in Jesus Christ. So if you've been uh, believing in Jesus Christ, if you believe on the foundation of our faith, you've been born of God. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, now first, I want to point out something very simple but very profound. Are you listening? That was just a promise. 
You're like, oh man, I missed it. I zoned out. I didn't get it. What was the promise? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. What kind of like mamby-pamby promise is that? It's not one at all. It's one that is great and victorious. This is a promise. It's not just a promise for the believers then receiving John's uh, letter. It is a promise for you now, here, and today. But I want to bring out some richness in this. And I want to bring this out by way of a little bit of a history and a little bit of a Greek lesson. Does anybody know what this word, uh, victory, this, uh, this, this word overcoming is in Greek? Chase does, probably. I don't know. Anybody? Anybody that wasn't here earlier? It's Nike. Nike. Nike is victory. Nike is overcoming. Why is it that? Because a Greek god named Nike, a Greek goddess to be specific, was the goddess of victory. But then it was also just the word that was meant to exclaim victory. So you may have, as a good Greek, wanted victory in war or in life, and you would pray or give testimony or go to the temple of Nike. Okay? No, no, no. We're we're not here to do that this morning. But what John is going to do is tell us that we have great victory in Jesus. This word uh, Nike shows up four times in this text. And what I want to do is read carefully through this text so that you might get the idea of the kind of victory that John wants for you. Get the kind of victory that I believe the Holy Spirit wants for you. Not just for your children, not just for your spouse. Not for the person sitting next to you, for you this morning. Can we read it? For everyone who has been born of God, Nikea, victory, overcomes the world. And this is the Nike, this is the victory that has overcome the, uh, that has overcome, and the word there is not Nike, it's not Nikon, it's uh, Nikesis. So we get this idea that there is a dual victory going on here. This is the victory that has been victorious over the world. What is it? It is our faith. This double victory that we get over the world is faith, our faith, not somebody else's faith, not your individual faith, by the way. It says our faith, the one that we share. Who is it that Nikon overcomes the world? except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the kind of victory that the Holy Spirit wants to communicate to you this morning. The Holy Spirit, through John, wants you to have no question in your mind what kind of kingdom you are in. The kingdom of Christus Victor, an established kingdom that was finished at the cross, that was christened at the empty tomb in the resurrection of Christ. What do these verses have to say? What these verses have to say is that, uh, that, that this is a triumphant victory, that your faith is a triumphant victory, that our faith is a victory. Faith in Jesus is the victory. Uh, That's such a strange sentence. Faith is the victory. You're like, well, how how can that be? I don't understand how faith is the victory. Let us go into this just a little bit this morning. Everyone who has been born of God has victory over the world. Who's victorious? Who overcomes? Verse 5 says, everyone who believes on Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God. Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says, all these things, 
in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that uh, nothing in this world will be able to take you away from the love of God. That's what Paul is writing to the Romans. He's actually wanting you to know that the kind of victory that you have, the kind of kingdom that you stand in the midst of is one in which you are a conqueror. That you are not just a conqueror, that you are more than a conqueror because of something you did, because of something that you are. No, because of Christ. Why is it that what we have faith in is our victory? Why is that? How can we overcome a whole world by faith? What is the meaning of this? Here's where we've got to be honest with ourselves. We have faith. Everyone in this room has faith. They have faith in something. And and here's what we also know, and it's a tricky thing. We know that if we place our faith in the world, we'll be overcome by the world. There's not one of us who's tried it on and thought this was a great idea. Every one of us puts our faith in a person and we are failed. Every one of us puts our faith in money for security and then when it flees, we don't feel that. Or when we get so much of it, we don't stop fearing. Every one of us puts our hope in some sort of comfort whether it's food or whether it is alcohol. And what we do is we find out that we don't get enough of it, that we need more and more. If you're putting your faith in something in this world, what you will find is is that the world has overcome you. But the message of this passage is totally different than that. It's not that if you put your faith in the world or if you put your faith in yourself that you will overcome. It's that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you will be victorious over the world. Faith in the world will leave you overcome by the world. Faith in the testimony of God is your victory over the world. Why? Because Jesus has defeated death, and he, verse 11, gives us life. I want for us to wrap up on this idea of life. Two times in this passage, it says that the testimony of God has borne something concerning his son. In fact, you can go and find both of those passages and then learn something out of them. One has uh, more content than we can kind of learn this morning, but the testimony of God that he has borne concerning himself, verse 11 tells us exactly what that testimony is. I want to give you just a moment to read it yourself. So there's a testimony that God has given, born actually, concerning his son. And then verse 11 tells us specifically what that is. Read it. This is the testimony. What does verse 11 say that the testimony is? I'll read it for us. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever has the son has life. What is the victorious testimony of God? The victorious testimony of God is that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Who is our Nike? Jesus is our Nike. Jesus is our victory. Placing our faith in our victor is the victory. How does that relate to this world that we might be tempted to put our faith in? What we need to know this morning, beloved, is that we have to put our faith in the right thing. Verse 12, whoever has, whoever owns, whoever possesses the Son has, owns life. 
If you have the Son of God, then you have eternal life. And, and this is the kind of life that I saw in Sterling. This is, this is kind of the reason why I started by mentioning what God taught me through Sterling. Is that the testimony of man? It absolutely is. Have we visited the testimony of God? Absolutely. What I want to do is return to this testimony that I saw in Sterling. The kind of confident faith that could result in an encouraging phone call late at night when he had all of the other kind of cares of the world that he could have been worried about and he wasn't. He was worried about me. Why? Because he's overcome the world. He's not concerned with it. He knows where his life is. He knows where his eternal destiny is. He has life. Sterling had faith in the testimony of God and experienced victory over the world. I heard it with my own ears. I saw it with my own eyes. I give testimony to it now. But it was then as it is now. It was past as it is present. Sterling may have had faith, but now he needs faith no longer. Why? Because he sees with his own eyes. What a glorious testimony. Sterling has the son. Sterling knows the testimony. Sterling's born of God. Sterling has eternal life. And so what I want to do this morning by way of bringing this into a testimony of man is just simply ask you, do you have that kind of victorious faith? Do you believe in the testimony of God? Do you feel as though you have been uh, overcome with this faith and then have overcome the world? Do you have victory through faith in Jesus Christ? That's what I'm asking you this morning. And, and if you do, why are you so concerned about the, what the world is trying to put on top of you? Why are you concerned about uh, your time? Why are you concerned about how people might view you? Why are you concerned about where your next meal might even come from? Might be some of our stories, right? There are all kinds of concerns that we might have in this world, but if we have an eternal life that has been bought for us through faith in Jesus Christ, which is sure, which is eternal, why don't we live in that kind of victory all the time? These three testify, spirit, water, blood, and those things give us confidence in Jesus as the Christ, and then we get to live in that kind of triumphant, that kind of victorious kingdom life. Are you timid? Are you weak? Are you anxious? Here's what the gospel says about you. You are a co-conqueror with Christ. You are a daughter of the God, God the Father. You are a co-ruler. You are a part of the bride. You are a saint. And if you believe it, if you believe it, then you will sit at a forever feast. You will see the end of evil. You will sing celestial songs. You will live in eternal life. So I want to say this again. Faith in the testimony of God. That is, that his son is the Christ, is our victory over the world. That's what it promises to you, and I wonder if you'll believe it, if you'll live in it. Let's pray to those ends. God the Father, you are great and glorious. You sent your son Jesus, of course, to be meek, uh, to be killed on a cross. There is no greater definition of meekness than that. He was slaughtered for our sins, but he did not stay that way. He was your son. You were well pleased with him. He was righteous. He was holy. And the grave could not contain him.
This is your testimony to us this morning, Father. We have a Christus victor. Father, I pray that you would help us at City Church to believe it. The cares of this world, the winds of doctrine, the things that the world wants to lie to us in, oftentimes overcome us temporarily, Father. Father, we pray that you would put an end to those cycles of doubt those cycles of sin that allow for the uh, waves of this world to kind of try to wash over us. Father, I pray that you would put an end to them, Father, and that you would allow us to live in the victory that Christ has bought for us. Father, our testimony this morning is that Jesus is the Christ. We say it together, and it is our faith. And so we want to be just so encouraged this morning. We want to sing to you as victorious singers. We want to take communion as a victory feast. We want to uh, be victorious in our greetings of one another. We want to uh, victoriously extol the graces of God in our personal conversations. We want to share things in common because we have the spoils of war. We want to be living in a victorious kingdom. Father, that is what I want. That is what I want for City Church, and I pray that you would make it so, Father, none of us can conjure, none of us can manipulate, none of us can create that here at City Church by our own will and power. And so we simply ask you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen.